0: Welcome to our verse-by-verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Turn in your Bibles. To Matthew chapter 15, Matthew 15. It's one of the reasons I love being the pastor of the church. And I love being a part of the body, you know, being a part and engaged in, in all the different seasons of life. Some of them are a little harder than others. Let's, let's, let's acknowledge that. But, the, but being a part of the family of God, I, I just love that. And if you know, if you know the Rick. Before Jesus, you'll know how weird that is. How how it's a one of those big evidences that God has changed me because I was not a people person really before. But God does a radical work in us if we'll just open our hearts and let Him. We're going to look at a text today in Matthew 15, and I I have come to realize as I study the Bible that sometimes I read some things in the Bible and I say, you know what, God, you're a little stingy with the details here. I could have liked to have seen a lot more information or details about this. And this is one of those accounts today that is like that. So let's pick it up in verse 21. Verse 21 of Matthew 15 says this. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon are on the coast of what is modern-day Lebanon, and we're not told why Jesus went there. And, you know, there are lots of assumptions. Anytime you read commentaries, you know, the commentators always come up with some idea. If they don't have a clear answer, they're making stuff up. You know, I think, I think it was this, or I think it was that. And I'm one of those guys that says, well, if, they don't, if God doesn't explain it, then, then don't, don't focus on that there's probably something else we need to pay attention to here. You know, this is Gentile territory. And as far as we can tell from the Scriptures, Jesus has this encounter with a foreign woman and then goes back to Israel. And this leaves me with all kinds of questions. Who was she? Why was she important to Jesus' ministry? what what did she accomplish you know did she get saved at some point we don't know these things we don't get answers to those questions so we're left just with the interaction and we take what we can from that verse 22 and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. This woman comes, and she's, she's desperate. Now, now, most of us have probably not had any experience with demon possession, but... I, I don't know that we could. even if we had, we could imagine what it would be like to live with a child that was demon-possessed or a young, a young girl, maybe, teenager, maybe. We don't know. We don't know how old this girl is, but whatever it is, she's severely demon-possessed. So woman of Canaan means she's a pagan, a pagan Gentile woman. From a Jewish perspective, Jesus had every reason in the world to reject her. I can list off all the reasons why a Jewish man would do, have nothing to do with this, can, this Canaanite woman, especially some of the things we do, like the fact that she's got a demon-possessed child would suggest to a Jew that this woman's got, got some really serious problems. There's, there's, a, there's a, a degree of wickedness in this woman that was so bad that... Demons possessed her daughter. Jesus seems to ignore her pleas for help. That seems like an odd response, a curious response. He helps everyone else. Why would he not help this woman? He appears to show her no compassion. So the disciples make a suggestion, verse 23. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, so based on how Jesus responds in verse 24, what the disciples are asking Jesus to do, Jesus, just do what she wants and send her away. She's bugging us. She's just annoying us. Any, anybody have any annoying people in their lives? <laughs> Jesus, can you just send them away? Yeah, they're not expressing any compassion for her either. It's sad. But sadly it's true that many churches and Christians are not good witnesses for Christ. I, I, my own testimony, one of the reasons why I didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ is because the church is filled with weird, hypocritical, messed up people. Why would I want to be a part of that? Listen, if you're an unbeliever here, you're an unbeliever watching, do not judge Christ by Christians. Don't judge Christ by Christians. The way that I came to faith was getting to know Christ apart from Christians. Jesus is wonderful. He is kind. He is gracious. He is generous. He is loving. He is merciful. He will never let you down. Christians will. I didn't say may. They will. But Christ never will. Don't judge Christ by Christians. Now, Christians, be better, right? Shouldn't we be better? We should be good witnesses, and those times when we're not good witnesses, we should deal with that. We should repent and we should get right with both God and with the, those that witnessed us not being good. Jesus says to them, which I, I believe this comment was directed to her as much as it was to the disciples, that I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. He came to the house of Israel First. Now, the Bible says very clearly that he intends to save the whole world, but he was going to do it through the Jews. All this anti-Semitism that's going on in the world right now is wicked, hateful, wrong, anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Jesus, anti-Christian. It's wrong. God is not done with the Jews. As messed up as they might be, he's not done with them. So Jesus basically says, I'm not not here for you, lady. This woman is so desperate, she's not going to give up that easily. Verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. The word worshipped here means bowed down. It's not certain what she actually believed about who Jesus was and what his mission was, any of that. The only thing we know for certain is that she believed that Jesus could heal her daughter, could deliver her daughter from the demons. We, we know that she believed that because she's asking him to do it. And she's not just asking him. The sense of the word she, they're using here, she's pleading, she's begging. She's, in, in some places it looks like she's commending him to do it. We see in this woman a lesson in the idea of perseverance in prayer We got to keep at it. If something is important enough for you to pray about, it's, it's important enough for you to keep praying about. Until when? Until God answers you. Until God answers you, you keep praying. Even after it seems that the Lord is ignoring her, she pressed on. Jesus finally does respond to her in verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Dogs was an ethnic slur that some Jews would use um, for Gentiles. And it was meant to disparage them and to uh, diminish them. And the sense of this text here is that Jesus' statement is meant to challenge her faith. What does she believe? What do you actually believe about me? As a Gentile... She had no right to the Jewish Messiah. At least that's what the Jewish religious people taught. That, you know, that, G, that the Messiah was for the Jews, the Jews alone. You have to ignore a great part of the Old Testament to actually believe that. Because the old, many parts of the Old Testament suggest, well, obviously the fact that, you know, that we're saved. We know that, we know that that's true. That he came to save all of us as well. Jesus' response to her request to her please, to her prayer, could be interpreted as rejection. I didn't come for you. You know, it's not right for me to give to you what I'm supposed to give to God's people. But she kept going. Verse 27. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. This is a crucial aspect of faith. We need to understand if we're going to pray, really pray. She understands, first off, that she needs help. She understands that, that, that she, she can't solve this problem, this situation on her own. And she also understands, as we read this, as we understand that she understands that she doesn't deserve Jesus' help. She, you know, there's no reason for her to believe that Jesus is going to help her, but she's going to ask him anyways. We also see her coming in humility. Jesus uses an ethnic slur with her, and she says, okay, I can turn that right around and use it to, to change my prayer to get you to respond to me. She humbles herself. She needs Jesus' help. And she believes that Jesus can help her. This woman is modeling something that Jesus said a few chapters ago. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, it says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And when we went through that text, I told you that those words, ask, seek, and knock, are in the form that means that you ask and keep asking. You knock and keep knocking. You seek and keep seeking. You do it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it until... Until God tells you to stop, or he does what you're asking, or he changes your prayer. You just keep doing it over and over and over again. In faith, believing that God can. Well, her persistence pays off. Verse 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So Jesus heals her. There's no, there's, no, there's no description of the daughter being present with the mother, so it's very possible that this is another one of the long-distance healings where Jesus just, you know, said, okay, done. And wherever that daughter was, in that moment, she was healed. This woman was desperate. Her precious daughter was demon-possessed. I can't imagine a more terrible situation. It's impossible for us to imagine what that might have been like. But we must remind ourselves why this woman came to Jesus. This is so crucial for us. And really, I think one of the main messages of this text. She was desperate to have her daughter healed. She had a situation. She couldn't do anything about it. She needed someone to help her. If her daughter was not demon-possessed, would she have come to Jesus? Nope, not a chance. There'd be no reason for it. She would have lived her life in darkness, in, in the, the, the wretchedness of her circumstances until for her whole life. Psalm 119, verses 67 and 71 says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Those are verses we don't like very much. What it says to us is that affliction is good for us. Anybody want to say hallelujah to that? No. Nobody wants to be afflicted. The Bible says very clearly, though, that affliction does work good for us. Difficult circumstances—they come, right? Can anybody can anybody acknowledge? Yes, that yeah, I've had them. We all have. They come to all of us, but they can be used by God to force us to at least look in His direction. They cause us to to, to change our our our. Perspective to at, least, to at least make the opportunity for us to see something different than what we're seeing. If, if this situation happened, ha- hadn't happened to this woman, she would have gone on with whatever wicked, pagan lifestyle she was living. Now, we don't know what, what the end of her story is. We, get to, we might get to see it in heaven. I, I pray it's something glorious and amazing. But we don't know. Only God can take the horrible things that happen in this life The circumstances, the situations, the pains, the suffering, the the abuses, the neglect, the whatever they might be in life, and then turn them into something beautiful and immortal. Only God can do that. Only God can deliver us from every one of our circumstances. One of the most profound evidences of our faith is that patient endurance in suffering. And we just put up with it. Patiently waiting. God, you know I hate this. You know I'm miserable. But you are God. And you are going to do something. And so I'm just going to wait. I'll do whatever you tell me to do in the meantime, but I'm going to wait for you to deliver me. I will approach you. I'll seek you. I'll ask. I'll seek. I'll knock. And I'll keep doing it and doing it and doing it but I'm going to do it patiently, trusting that you are going to do something. James tells us that we should rejoice because of what those things will produce in us. Another one of those verses we have a hard time, you know, being all excited about. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know why God allows difficult things to happen in yourself, in you? Because you're not perfect yet. So when bad things happen, when difficult circumstances happen, when things, when, when people, you know, when the people, you know, they don't, they don't, treat you the right way, or they don't say the right thing, or they, you know, they reject you, or they, you know, whatever. There's probably something in you that needs to be fixed. And James says we got to rejoice when we realize that. This is happening so that I can be better. And if we're at all sensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then we're, we're going to recognize that there is a benefit to whatever I'm going through, even as hard as it might be. The the si- <coughs> excuse me the sicknesses and the you know the ailments and the whatever the trials, the tribulations, the testings, the temptations, all of those things. Romans eight twenty eight a verse we're all well familiar with. We know that all things, all things means what? All things, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things are going to be worked out for good. Do we believe it? Do we believe that that's true? Because if we do, then we'll act like that's true. Trials make us, should make us, as believers especially, but even unbelievers. Trials and difficult things, they, they put us in a place where we can see God, where we can look in the direction of God. If, we, if we're just going along with life, everything is going along as normal, we don't look to God. It's not our nature to do that. It's when God gives us a reason to look to Him. And sometimes... It's not going to be easy. Trials cause us to look in His direction. Trials can wean us from the things of this world. The things of this world are very attractive. You know, we're you know we just got done with Black Friday. We're, there's the things of the world are like big in our minds. They're you know they've filled up our Amazon shopping carts. You know, where I just was reading, I was listening to a podcast on the way in and and you know that they're saying that this is going to be the best Black Friday in history. People are spending more money than they ever have even though they don't have any more money. Trials drive us to our knees in prayer. Listen, good health is a blessing. Somebody say hallelujah. If you got good health today, say hallelujah. Praise God. But sickness is better if it drives you to God. Prosperity is a great mercy. If you're, pros- if you're a prosperous, they don't say anything because the rest of us will be jealous. But <laughs> if you have prosperity, that's a, great, that's a great mercy that God has done for you. But adversity is better if it brings you to Jesus. Good relationships with others That's a great joy, right? Hallelujah, I love being in good relationships. But broken relationships are better if that's what it takes to bring you face-to-face with the Savior of your soul. Listen, God created us to walk in intimate communion fellowship with him. That's That's what he created you for. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to work out his life in you and out of you. And if we do that, we experience what Jesus promised us in John 10.10. I have come, they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. We're called to live a very peculiar life in intimacy with God that is abundant and rich and full. And God knows exactly what it's going to take to get you there. For some, it's going to be an expression of his grace. Others, it'll be an expression of his mercy. For some, it's going to be trials. It's going to be difficulty. It's going to be hard things. And if something difficult is needed, God will not hesitate. To bring exactly what you need, as an expression of His love, He will bring you exactly what you need. Might even break your back if that's what you need to, you know, to, to get, you know, I don't know, what, I don't know if He was working on you. I, I'm just, you know, you're the first thing I, you know, first tragedy I could think of. Not a tragedy. That's not right. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> she was broken for a while. She's fixed now, so all, it's all good. I'm assuming God used it for something. He used the first sermon illustration. Woohoo! <laughs> oh. This foreign woman had heard about Jesus and was, was convinced that, she, that he could do something for her that no one else could. And she was desperate to have this something done. She came to him with her need and then humbly but boldly approached him. And pleaded with him to heal her daughter. And even after Jesus ignored her, even after the disciples seemed to get frustrated with her, she persisted in her request. And then, once she confessed her unworthiness, I'm not worthy for you to do anything for me, but I'm asking you to do it anyway. Jesus gave her what she wanted. Gave her what she needed. This... Gentile woman teaches us three things about how to approach God. First, approach God by faith. She believed that Jesus could do this thing. It was impossible. No one else could do it. No one else had even, could even, even I mean, most people probably just shunned her Said, I, I can't help you. They probably stayed away from her. And she comes to Jesus believing, I believe you can do it. Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we want to see God work, we got to start by believing he can do what we're asking for. Can God heal can god deliver from demons can god heal broken relationships can god solve my financial issues can god gosh fill in the blank fill in the blank anything can god do it yes he can must believe second be persistent this woman kept coming Even after it didn't seem like there was going to be a response, she kept coming. Even after the disciples kind of gave gave her something of of a hard time, she kept coming. Even after Jesus said something that might have been perceived as as denigrating or rejecting, she kept coming. You got to pray. You got to ask, seek, and knock and keep at it until God responds. The parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18 is a picture of that. We just got to keep coming, believing. God, I believe you can. And if there's a reason why you're not answering me today, okay, just know. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep coming. The Apostle Paul told us, taught us to pray without ceasing. Every time a thought comes, every time the the sense of that that sense of loss or that sense of pain or that sense of disconnection, whatever it might be, we need to lift our heart up to God. Say, God, you know what I need. And the third, approach God in bold humility. That sounds like an odd phrase, doesn't it? Bold humility. How holy is God? Come on, somebody say it. He is perfectly holy. He is supremely holy. Find an adjective that makes you feel good and and add it to that, you know, to that concept. He is absolutely holy. Compared to him, how holy are we? Eh, not very. We're not that holy. Holy not compared to him so we must always approach god humbly recognizing his holiness is so far above ours that that if we were to if we were to come with our righteousness with our holiness with our whatever it might be into his presence that he, he would have every he would have it would be perfectly just for him to just wipe us out because we're so far from him but he invited us to come boldly into his presence. In Hebrews four sixteen, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We come boldly into the presence of the throne of grace and mercy. We come boldly into the presence of God, not based on our righteousness because we don't have any, But based on his right, on the righteousness of Christ. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. That means it's credited to you, so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your righteousness. Because if he saw your righteousness, uh, he would have to reject you. But when he looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness. And when he sees Christ's righteousness, he says, he opens his arms wide, say, come, come. just like the babies coming to me so beautifully this morning. No, much better than that. Nothing in us makes us worthy of such a great privilege of being able to approach God in our time of need. The only thing that makes us worthy is the finished work of Jesus Christ. He makes us worthy. One of the glorious mysteries of the gospel is that Christ makes it possible for for us, each one of us, to to have a real living relationship with Almighty God. That's that's a mystery to me. How is that possible that you can take me and, and dress me up in such a way that i could actually go into the presence of almighty god i know it's true because the bible says so because i believe in jesus christ and i'm imputed with his righteousness it covers me somehow i don't get it i don't fully understand it but i love it i can now go into god's presence whenever i need to at any time i need to i don't have to go to a special church i don't have to go into a little booth someplace i don't have to you know pay a certain amount of money i don't have to memorize romans Eight, I can just just be a child of God. And now I know. Anytime I want, I go right into his presence. I don't have to get my life right because I go to him to get my life right. And and I love the fact that we, we have this privilege of being in this relationship, but we don't have to wait for heaven for it. We can do it right now. We can be in that relationship right now. The moment we humbled our heart before God, the moment we experienced his forgiveness for our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are in this relationship with him. Now, now granted, it, pray, it may not be as good as it needs to be because we're still being worked out. Our, our salvation is being worked out and worked out of us through sanctification. Listen, the abundant life that God sent Jesus to give us is lived through this intimate communion, fellowship relationship with Almighty God. And we do it by believing. We do it by coming humbly into God's presence. We do it by being persistent and keeping at it. And there's lots more that we could talk about those things, but we're going to run out of time, so we're not going to do that. But we can all have that. I I am so thankful for the relationship that I have with family and with you know with with friends and you know distant or f- more distant friends. Not distant or that's not even. Can I make that word up right now? Distant or friends? Okay, thank you. Okay, I just got rebuked. I got rebuked from row three. But you know what? I know that my, all my relationship could be better. If I learn to love God better, I'm going to love others better. If I can learn how to walk humbly before others, I'll walk more humbly before my God. Or vice versa. We're going to pray, and then the worship team is going to come up and lead us in one last song. But we ought to, all of us, search our hearts. Say, how, how am I doing in that? Am I... Am I seeking God? Am I I asking, seeking, and knocking, and doing it, and doing it, and doing it with every facet of my life? And if not, maybe you should start because God has so much more for you than maybe what you're experiencing in this moment. So let's pray. And I ask the Holy Spirit to help us approach God with even more faith knowing that he hears us. Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for the things that you've done today, the, the ministries that, that, that we've seen done already. And we pray, Lord, as we, as we prepare to end this time with a song of praise, that our hearts would be lifted up to you, praising you for who you are, that you've invited us into this intimate communion, fellowship, relationship with you, almighty God creator of heaven and earth that, that, that ruler of rulers king of kings and, and we, if we will just humble ourselves that we can come boldly into your presence whenever we need to and I know there, there are great needs in our body we know we're told in scriptures that some don't have because they don't ask let us not be that people God Let us be a people that humbles our heart regularly and comes to you in absolute faith, knowing that you can answer our prayers. You can do what we need. You can do what we want. And that will be persistent. We'll keep asking and keep asking and keep asking until you do something. Because you're a loving God. You're a good God. You're a holy God. You're not leave your children wanting You'll not leave your children suffering. You'll meet us right where we are. And so I pray, Lord, help us to be a kind of people that will continue to reach out to you, <clears throat> continue to come into your presence. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, anyone watching online who does not have a relationship with you, then they, they don't have the privilege of being able to come into your presence. That if they pray, then that prayer, those prayers go nowhere. That the only way that we can pray The only way we can know that you hear us, the only way we know that you will answer us is if we are doing it through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if there's anyone who is trying to live this life without you, God, I know that's not possible. Just as we talked earlier about you can't can't really parent your children without God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us all. Help those, anyone, maybe somebody's online, they've been like like I was, that I was judging Christ by Christians and the church. I pray, Lord, that they would finally realize that, that Christ is not like that. Christ is perfect. Christ is holy. Christ is good. Christ is loving. Christ is kind and generous, gracious and merciful, patient, And that, Lord, while we as a church are striving for those things, we're, not, we're never going to hit them perfectly. We're doing our best. If was somebody watching online, maybe has been waiting, waiting for you know, the perfect church or the perfect Christian to come along, Lord, they would stop waiting, and they would put all their trust in you, knowing that, that, that what they're looking for is not in a Christian, it's not in a church, it's in you. And so I pray that you'd reach down from heaven right now and touch their hearts. Help them. Help them to believe right now that you are what they've been looking for. That they would open themselves up to allow you to set them free. Lord, we need to turn from our sins. We need to repent of those sins. And we need to believe that you died on the cross for our sins. And once doing that, we can know that you hear us. That you have a plan for our lives. And that plan includes heaven. So we thank you for that, God. So I lift up your church. I lift up your people. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would be filled with faith, that we would walk in humility, and that we would persist in our prayers until we hear your voice, until we see your works, until we know your smile. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are. We lift up this day to you. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we could be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.